0: So thank you, Jesus, for Phil. Thank you for the words that you have put in his heart. Thank you that he is one who breaks into new areas, that he is the one that breaks through boundaries. And Lord, I pray that tonight the things that he shares with us will really settle into our hearts to cause us to go forward with new courage and new confidence. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Ben. That was great. Well done. Good job. Hey, I feel like we've been breaking through a few boundaries in the last week or two down on Area F with hacking and slashing going on many a rhododendron has met its match over the last couple of weeks and uh, we have not done too much to the uh, ozone layer either by burning it all felt smelt like a complete kipper by the end of the week i will just say but we had a lot of fun thanks to everyone who who came down um Good. I want to just share a few thoughts and we're going to finish up with communion. So I've got to kind of do something within about 35 minutes, okay? Um, so we'll abridge a little bit. But uh, I had the very great privilege in the last week, two weeks, can't remember what it was now. 16th of February. How long ago was that? Three weeks. <laughs> Doesn't time fly? Three weeks ago, we went to see Isabel Allen over at Catch the Fire Bournemouth. And can I just say, please, it was such a significant conference for us as a church. Um, the, um, the talks, they're all recorded and they're up on the Catch the Fire Bournemouth website. And I would highly recommend you download those and listen to them in the car sometime they are amazing, absolutely amazing. I've had been on a couple of long journeys over the weekend and uh, literally I was listening to her for about three hours coming back and it was just feeding my soul. It really was. It was an amazing, amazing time and it puts a lot of things in context for us and helps us to understand some of the things we've been going through and where we're at now in the journey, uh, particularly um, the, one of the words that she was bringing Uh, was, as we've been sensing, is uh, that actually we're at a a season where things are really shifting in the United Kingdom and things are beginning to change. She'd had an amazing vision of an angel coming down, which I think she'd shared once before, uh, but blowing a trumpet, kind of trumpet, 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 doing uh, all this thing over and over and over again. And when she asked the Lord what it was all about, uh, the sense was it was all hands on deck, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. It was kind of that's what the trumpet message was saying. And for those of you who saw it before, do you remember Steve Shepard's church? hearing the shofars blow uh, just spontaneously in the meeting. Um, not real shofars. There, there was no shofars in the building at all. But the sound of the shofar came just so clearly and so distinctly Uh, And that was 12 months ago. And then later that year, when I was going over to Dorchester football ground, I heard the shofar inside my car as I was driving along. And it really made me jump. It was audible. It was just very clear. I thought my car was breaking down. uh, But it was kind of very, very real. And now hearing Isabel's word, you know, this trumpet blowing from the angel all hands on deck, all hands on deck. It's like, it's literally, I think the message of the all hands on deck is whatever you're doing, stop doing it and get on. The, and it doesn't, you, you don't need to be qualified, you don't need to be particularly anointed, you don't need to be particularly gifted. When they say all hands on deck, if you're down in the kitchen cooking the food, you get up and help with whatever's happening up there. That's the sense of the message that was coming. And there was a sense of urgency that began to come as she was speaking. And um, the whole thing was was just brilliant. And so I highly recommend you download all of those messages. I think there's about six altogether. Um, But it is just really, really refreshing to listen to it. So uh, I want to pick out one bit because, as ever we got picked to have a prophetic word it's just getting really embarrassing it's like you know she picks like a few people out from like the 200 or whatever that were there and I'm kind of sitting there like this saying please don't pick me this time it's like there's all these people around me who really need a prophetic word and it would really encourage them to have that but oh no so uh but you know I I do believe that when uh we get a when Heather and I get a prophetic word, it is for the whole house, it is like for the church as we're uh, sort of moving forward, and it gives some direction into what we're doing at this time. So, there's one specific now. I mean, in time, we'll if you want to hear the prophetic word, you can hear the prophetic word, it's fine, it's, it's really good, really encouraging. But there's one specific bit that resonated with me this time, and it was the bit from. Um, where she was mentioning about King Jehoshaphat, okay? So as many of you know, uh, we'll read the story in a minute from 2 Chronicles 20, but uh, he, was, he was the king who was a good king. He, he'd, he'd done good in the land, you know, generally speaking. He hadn't put up the Ashtoreth poles and he hadn't sacrificed in the high places and all of this sort of stuff. He'd actually brought some good rule to the land. But there came a point in time when he was completely surrounded by enemies on all sides. I think about six different nations. It was the Moabites, the Ammonites. Um, Ammonites. It is Ammonites, isn't it? Uh, I keep thinking they're the fossils, aren't they? But uh, I think it's the same word. The Munites and uh, kind of a load of otherites as well declared war on him. And and his response was he just got scared. He just got completely fearful. We'll come to that in a minute. Anyway, the gist of the story is God gives them a really good deliverance. and um, But Isabel prophesied this over us. And I'll give you the, just the gists of this particular bit. This is not the whole prophecy. but So... I would have played it, but she's completely unintelligible with her C- Costa Rican accent and like recorded on a mobile phone at 50 yards. You know, it's like, uh, it wasn't good. So I've had to transcribe it and write it down and, and work out what she's saying. So, but this is it. I heard the Lord saying, there is the gift of Jehoshaphat coming to you. He defeated his enemies, but the Lord gave him the plunder of the battles. The Lord is increasing the plunder of battles in your lives. For the Lord has added some plunder that he offered to others, but they didn't want to do it. They refused because of the investment that was required. The Lord is going to add it to you. God is turning you and your house and your ministry and your church into a plunder place. Plunder birds. Oh yeah, come on. <laughs> turning you into a plunder place or a house of plunder. The plunderers in the kingdom, and you will collect the spoils for God, is going to give you a strategy for the spoils of battle. I heard the Lord saying that the same as he did for Jehoshaphat, he is going to do with you. The fame of your God is going to spread throughout the land, and many are going to know what God has done for you. Okay, that's a good word right there, isn't it? We'll, We'll take it. But... I started looking at this plunder thing. It kind of, something resonated in me. I quite liked it. It kind of sounds vaguely piratey, doesn't it? Sort of, ha plunder and all of this sort of stuff. But it it sort of struck me that there was, there was something in it. And, that, and, and what are we plundering? If we're going to be known as a house of plunder, a plunder place... That what, what is it that we're plundering? And I began to sort of think about this and meditate on it. And, and it, it can only be the enemy, can't it? And, you know, what has the enemy got to lose? Well, we'll look into that. So let me just read a bit of this story out. 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to follow along with it. Uh, I haven't got it on the screen. Sorry, I was driving back from Cambridge today and ran out of time to actually get any scriptures up. So I apologise for that. But 2 Chronicles 20. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazanatama, which is another name for Engedi. Okay, I can do that one. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built the temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored and we can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see that the armies of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir are doing You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. They have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Another version says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And as the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jeol, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch The Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. And early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. And at the very moment that they began to sing and give praise, the the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. Another another translation says, the Lord set ambushes against the uh, armies of Moab and Ammon and Mount Seir. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seah and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seah, they began attacking each other. So that when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So, Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given them rest on every side. So, <clears throat> that's a great story, isn't it? It is just like, it, it, it is one of my favorite stories, and uh, of how when you get to a place where you just don't know what to do when it's completely beyond you, completely beyond your resources, completely beyond your wisdom, completely beyond your gifting, you say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There is a, there's a place of surrender in that moment, which is pure worship. That is what worship is. It's kind of taking your eyes off yourself and your own ability to do anything and just saying, God, it's you. It's only you. And then completely sort of disarming themselves, sending the musicians, bless you musicians, out first in front of all the enemy to uh, just go and face this mighty army with swords and shields and, and all of this sort of stuff. And just with a song of praise on the lips, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And just seeing this mighty, mighty deliverance, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And so... So we've had this as a house over us to be plunderers like King Jehoshaphat. And, and Isabel said, just as God did for King Jehoshaphat, he is going to do for us. And so I began to think, okay, so what does this look like? What, what is that going to mean? What is that uh, going to uh, look like? And I began to think, what, what is it that, that we're going to do how are we going to plunder? I mean, a a, plunder is a noun. You can go and find plunder, can't you, and, and receive it. But to plunder is a much more exciting word, isn't it? It's an active thing. You go and do it. You come and relieve the enemy of his resources. It's when you plunder a kingdom. And I began to think, okay, so what is it that the enemy's got to, to lose? And this is some of the things I feel like he is going to do amongst us. And I think he wants to do it amongst us tonight, okay? We're going to finish up with uh, communion tonight. And I, I want to some of these areas I'm going to read out in a minute. I want us to kind of really focus that the enemy wants us to plunder those areas of the kingdom. So the first one is... It's, it's kind of people, isn't it? It's rescuing people. If you plunder an enemy's resources, you might kind of rescue and liberate any captives that are there. So you'll be setting people free. And I think this speaks of salvation. And I think in this coming time, as we begin to plunder the, the uh, enemy's kingdom, one of the things we're going to do is rescue those that have been in captive. And I think it just speaks of salvation. It speaks of people coming into the kingdom. And the last time we all got together, we, we, we did this hypothetical thing that I mentioned. And I, do you remember me telling the story about Carlos Anacondia in Argentina when he went out and began preaching the gospel on the streets of Buenos Aires? And I think on the first night, saw so 10,000 people get saved, you know, it was just an idea that he'd had. And, uh, but in that whole period, Argentina entered this season of revival, and uh, it was Ed Silvoso that said the average size of a congregation went from 50 to 2,000 overnight. Do you remember me saying this? No. That's all right. But, <clears throat> and I kind of put the thing out there and said, every single one of you, if that happens in the UK, is going to become a pastor of like 40 to 50 people. That's, that's what that looks like. So if we begin to plunder the, the, the uh, people, the armies of the enemy, those who's held captive, it's going to look like a lot of people coming into the kingdom and we're going to need to get activated. And I was so encouraged when Heather Thompson came along the following week and said exactly the same thing, quoted the same story about Carlos Anacondia, just like exactly the same thing and said, That means everyone here is going to become a pastor. It was like such a confirmation that that is the season that we're launching into at the moment. So we need to get ready for that rescuing people, salvation. I think, you know, another area of the enemy's kingdom that we want to see um, deliverance is deliverance, (laughs) is people who are oppressed by the enemy. People, and that can manifest itself in lots of different ways. Um, I was hearing some kind of wonderful stories about how uh, Isabel, when she was out one night and uh, she was like prophesying right the way through the night until, so she started at seven o'clock in the evening and didn't stop until seven in the morning. Just in a, in a weak moment said, I'm going to prophesy over every person here and literally went through the night. But that she said that she had this infilling of the presence of God, where she really understood. I mean, she she has this kind of very personal relationship with Jesus where she chats to him and he says, kind of, let's do this. And she says, okay, then let's do this. And And she had that thing where Jesus was with her and filled her. And she understood that Jesus had the spirit without measure, completely... You know, that's why everything was so cool around him, why things always worked and why people always got healed and all of that stuff. He had the spirit without measure. But she had him. He was there. And he came and filled her. And as she began to prophesy over people, just doing the thing that she normally did, like demons were shrieking and manifesting and leaving at uh, great rates of knots. And she said, You know, that's amazing. I didn't even think the prophecies were that good. You know, Jesus said to us, don't flatter yourself, Isabel. It wasn't you. Uh, But they were seeing Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to see in this season. People being set free from oppression. Now, you know, we we don't really uh, kind of give a lot of credence to demonization, do we? Uh, In this country, we don't see a lot You go to Africa, you go to Uganda, and you see it all right. I've seen kind of like four-year-old kids squirming around on the floor looking like snakes and hissing and talking to you in English when they can't even talk English. And, you know, like speaking back to you and saying, she's mine, she's mine, and all of this sort of stuff. It is kind of weird stuff. The demonic world is very real, and I believe it is very real in this country. It is just hiding. And it uh, it manifests itself in lots of different ways, in extreme anxiety, in fear, in compulsive behaviours and things like that. But in this season, as we go and plunder the enemy's kingdom, people are going to be set free from these things, from fears, from anxieties, from uh, compulsive behaviours, things like that. So deliverance is going to be one of those things. Of course, the obvious one is sickness. People are held captive by a number of sicknesses. It's like probably if you did a straw poll of, of this room here, I mean, over half would be suffering with something and it would be quite limiting. Either the sickness itself or the fear of sickness is also completely controlling and it can stop you and can limit you from stepping out and stepping into the destiny that God's got for you. And I believe that He wants to come and set people free. So as we get into communion tonight, just be bearing on, you know, thinking about these uh, these areas, uh, because I really believe that He wants to set people free in this time. Now, the last one, number four, is uh, the one that's closest to my heart at the moment because I really feel like He's speaking to me about it, and it's getting, it's just getting beyond a joke. I can't run away from it anymore but I believe he wants to bring a deliverance from debt at this time that is part of the the enemy's kingdom where people have got trapped they are stuck they've got to keep turning the handle to generate the income to pay the mortgage to pay the credit card bills to to, to do this that and the other and it stops them from moving forward into their destiny and I just believe that God that that's kind of a that one of the tangible aspects of plunder, when I think of plunder, I'm thinking of gold bullion and coins and you know precious things that is actually real and you can have and spend and trade and all of that sort of stuff. But I believe it is something that God wants to do at this moment. I've had so many words and dreams and uh, prophetic confirmations. I've had at least three today that God wants to do something extraordinary amongst us. I really believe he wants to do something incredibly extraordinary and I think these things are happening. They are breaking out amongst us and you can receive them. You can receive some of these things. All you've got to do is activate your spirit in order to step into it and receive it because all the promises of God are inherited through faith and through patience but you've got to have that faith that active expectation that God actually really wants to do something for you and I've I've just had so many confirmations in over this even over this weekend honestly I know he wants to do something in this realm he wants to release finances into the kingdom and it's going to be a very very exciting time okay so let's just where are we we're doing okay we 're doing all right, ten minutes. Which bit shall I do okay let 's kind of get a little bit practical about this. What was it What was it that um, kind of really helped King Jehoshaphat out because clearly there were no swords drawn, there was no i, I mean however you look at it th- there 's not really a practical explanation to what happened, was there? And I, I think this is a this is a key thing and it is something that God is doing in me. I as you know, I'm an engineer by training and I am a very practical person. I analyze everything. I I want to see how things work and all of this stuff. And what he is trying to do to me now is to get me engaged with the supernatural power of God. Which is quite challenge. Quite a challenge for me because I'm very practical. I keep looking down and thinking, okay, so how's that going to work? What's that going to look like? How, what have I got to make that happen? And it gets me into a lot of trouble because what I've got will not heal the sick. What I've got will not set the demon oppressed free. What I've got will not do what he's called me to do. It will not give provision to f- satisfy the vision. And so what he's really trying to stir me into is to step forward, and step into this supernatural realm. He's a supernatural God. You know, all of the stories, you read the stories, you can't get away from it. He is, it's natural to him, supernatural to us. Okay, so what was it then that happened in, in King Jehoshaphat's day then when they stepped out on that, on that uh, battlefield? Well, I think what it comes down to is the presence of God. You know, when they went out and they sent the worshippers out there and they did their thing, they did. Do you remember Briny teaching on the great Hallel? That's that that kind of praise, that declaration that's almost warfare-like. It's, you know, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And you see it repeated on a number of times throughout the Bible. And and another one um, is, um, where was it? It was with Solomon, wasn't it? I'm just looking for the scripture. Oh yeah, 2, 2 Chronicles 5.13. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, "'For he is good, his, his mercy endures forever.'" the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled um, the house of God. You know, that's the great halal again. And whenever it is declared and wherever it is declared in unity and togetherness and honor and kind of all of these things that we've been talking about for the last sort of five years or so, Stuff happens. The presence of God shows up, and when the presence of God shows up, stuff happens. Okay, now, what does what does that look like? Because uh, you know, I've I've battled with that a little bit. The presence of God showing up, because hang on a minute, isn't God always here? His presence is here. You know, we um, Matthew twenty eight says. Uh, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews thirteen four: I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Ephesians one fourteen: we receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment when you believe and you're marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession. So when we become a Christian... The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. That's part of the sign. That is part of being born again. Uh, we become a new creation at that point. Our spirit is born again. And from that moment on, he is with you. He is always with you. And it is fantastic. It doesn't matter what condition you're in. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter what you've seen, what you've experienced. He is always with you. Because the Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never do it. So he can't do it. He can't break his promise. And the blood of Jesus makes us clean and acceptable and justified before him so that when he looks on us, he doesn't see our kind of sinful nature that has failed again and done the same thing as we've done a thousand times or whatever. He actually sees his beloved son. He sees us clothed with Christ in complete... Uh, purity. That's what he sees. And he is always delighted to see us. And he's, that's why we can boldly approach that throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. It's fantastic. It's, it's really extraordinary. It is extreme. So his presence is always with us. But I believe there is something else. There is something else. That's kind of like the internal presence. So he comes And he is given to us as a seal and he is with us and he can speak to us and our ears are open to him. But there is also something else. Okay, like, okay, why do I say that? Because, you know, the disciples who were with Jesus, and it speaks in John, doesn't it? Uh, When Jesus came and he came into the room and he breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit and and they received the Holy Spirit. That was kind of like them getting born again, although had Jesus died at that point? I don't know. I hadn't, didn't look at that one, but but it's kind of equivalent to them being born again. But then later in Acts 2, as was quoted tonight by Manuela, yeah, uh, which I was also looking at, it says they were together on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house while they were sitting and then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You know, there there seems to be something else that happens. You, we receive the Holy Spirit, but then there is this thing where the presence of God comes, and it is it's more than an individual thing. It's not just... Uh, kind of a one person sort of receiving a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. It is when we get together, when we make a declaration of unity, when we make a declaration of faith, when we come together in worship or something, the manifest presence of God comes around us. Okay, now we can debate some of this theologically later, those of you who are into that sort of thing. But this is my experience, okay? I know I've got the Spirit of God within me undeniable he he is with me and I have that revelation of grace I I know there's nothing I can do to separate myself from the love of God that's what the bible says I believe it I'm wholeheartedly in it but I also experience the presence of God coming around me I can feel it and it's like oh he's here what's what? what's he want to do and I and this is this is something Isabel was talking about in this conference so if you want to know a little bit more about it download those talks and she goes into a lot more detail but there is something called the companionship of the Trinity and it's like where the presence of God comes around you and and you can kind of really interact with the Godhead and you can talk to them and they'll talk back and you can get to know them and it, it speaks of that moment for example in the garden where it says that God and Adam and Eve walked together in the cool of the day and they communed together and they spoke together and I think that is the kind of like the external presence of God now in the old testament they didn't have the internal presence of God they didn't have that the Holy Spirit did not come and live inside of people. Whenever you read about the Holy Spirit coming in the Old Testament, it says um, it says that the the Spirit of God came upon that person. In that story I just read out with Jehaziel, it says the Spirit of God came upon Jehaziel and he prophesied. In the same way, um, it. Like with David, it said the, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and made him really strong. And he was able to slay the, dra- the dragon, the dragon, slay the lion. Okay, Where would the dragon come from? How my mind works. It's the enemy. Needs a good beating. But the spirit of God came upon David. And you, and you read it right the way along. The spirit, the hand of God or the spirit of God came upon Elijah and on Elisha. Do you remember Elisha saying, bring me a minstrel? Well, I don't think he was talking about chocolate at that time. But bring me a musician. Because as the musician played, the hand of God came upon him. So the spirit of God wasn't kind of living inside him at that time because Jesus had not yet died to make make us all justified in order that that could happen. But the hand of God could come upon him. And it was always to do some function. It was to do a job. So we've got this internal and external presence of God. And I think it's that external presence of God. It's the exciting one. It's the one that kind of, I love, I love the intimacy of God. I love talking to God. I love praying with, you know, and talking to the Holy Spirit. And I talk to Jesus sometimes. And I talk to the Father sometimes. And, you know, we chat and all of that stuff. But I just love it when his presence comes. And I just really become aware of it. And I just think, oh, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be all right because he is here. You know, when his presence comes in that way, stuff happens. And that's what our plundering is going to look like. In John six twenty one, talks about this, the story about when the disciples were going over the lake in the boat, uh, doesn't it? And they get caught into the storm and Uh, they're fearing for their lives and all of that sort of stuff and they think they're going to drown and then Jesus comes walking to them on the water and they're kind of scared to death so um, let's just read that that evening Jesus disciples went down to the shore to wait for him but as darkness fell Jesus still hadn't come back they got into the boat and they headed across the lake to Capernaum Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat. And this is the interesting bit immediately they arrived at their destination. Have you read that before? It's kind of there they were in the middle of the sea. They're kind of stuck out in the storm. Jesus comes walking. They invite him into the boat. And when the presence of God is in with them, suddenly they're at their destination. They don't even have to row. It's like they get translated over to the other side. And it's like they arrive at their destination. When the presence of God comes around us, things happen. What else have we got? There was another great example, wasn't there, 2 Samuel six ten, where the Ark of the Lord was left in Obadem's house, wasn't it? And it says The Ark of the Lord remained in Obadim's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obedidom and his entire household. When the presence of God was in the place in that time, there was this blessing that got attracted and fell upon them. The priests, as they're going across the uh, river jordan they carried the ark of the covenant on their shoulders stepped into the water and the water parts the presence of god as he goes with us begins to just do the thing that you're supposed to be be doing it kind of equips you and and enables you to do it i mean the perfect example is the Israel going through the wilderness. It's like when they come out, they're kind of out there. They're completely exposed to the elements. The wilderness is the wilderness, you know. It's like hot in the day and probably freezing cold at night. But the presence of God goes with them as a pillar of cloud during the day and as a pillar of fire at night. The, the presence of God protects them from the attack of the Egyptians. Maybe this is a thought. That I've had over the years but maybe it was kind of like their own private atmosphere that went with them the pillar of cloud protecting them from the sun during the day and the fire keeping them warm at night I don't know we had that one in discuss when the presence of God comes he shows up so I you know I I I love it I, I'm very familiar with the presence of God and you know I ho- hopefully you have some kind of experience of of knowing the reality of his presence if not it 's something worth pursuing it 's something worth going after i I am a little bit of a god chaser. I have been my entire life since very first like when we came, came back to the Lord Heather and I went, just after we got married and we got kind of switched on to the things of God. We used to go everywhere. If there was any sniff of anything going on, we would just go and visit and we would get people to pray for us and we would just we were just hungry for God. Hungry for the reality of of what the gospel was all about. It is worth pursuing. It is worth going after. I think it says in Hebrews, isn't it, that you know, when you when you come to God, you've got to believe that he's real, believe that he exists, but also that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a, it's not a casual thing. It's not a, oh, well, I'll, I'll come along the church if it suits me and we'll see what happens. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it sort of thing. It's... No, it, it's kind of an intentional thing where you, you go for it and you position yourself and you align yourself with what you believe to be correct and, and you just demand that circumstances come into order around it. So what can we do to get into that external presence? So let's just whiz through a couple of things and then we'll we'll finish up. Um, for me, the first thing is intimacy. And, you know, it, it's an intentional thing, uh, communing with God okay it's like you've got to you've got to do it and you and and you you've got to initiate it you've got to position yourself in the right place to hear from God and to be with God and and you've got to initiate that communication you've got to speak to him and uh, there is no substitute for that it's like you've just got to make the space and you you've got to get in that place and talk to him Isabel was saying I was really surprised to hear she said you know I, I decided that this was the right course of action to be intimate with God. And I just started talking to him. And I would never heard anything back, she said, ever. But I would just talk to him. I'd talk to him as if he was there and say, Jesus, what should we do on this? And silence. And uh, But she went on like that for quite some time before she began to perceive the voice of God speaking back to her. And you hear her now, and she's just an amazing prophetic lady uh, who gets incredibly you know, revealed words and everything. But she went through the same thing. She had to be intentional about it as she was really opening herself up to uh, commune with the Trinity. Testimony just makes his presence come. You know, you may get bored with the structure of doing good news and stuff, but actually testimonies, they just make the presence of God come. They really do. The, The clue is in the ark of the testimony you know it's the it's the the presence used to hover over the ark of the testimony that's where the tablets were that's where the rod that budded Aaron's rod that budded and that's where the uh, manna was kept it was a testimony of what god had done and as we begin to redeclare those things that god has done his presence comes again it it's it's just what happened and we actually use that that presence coming uh, because in revelation it says they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb so the testimony is powerful worship praise and thanksgiving we you know we've we've seen that with the great halal and everything but that psalm 100 where it says enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise it's 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 just kind of, my experience, it's, it may be just preconditioning, but when I worship God on a Tuesday morning, just I'm aware of his presence straight away. It's, I just get into that place. Whether it's doing something to me or to him, I, I don't understand the mechanics of it, but it just does. When I worship God, he comes. Boldness is a, is a, is a key. It's boldness and courage. You know, we, we have got to step out I think, you know, if there's anything in you that says, well, I'll, I'll just kind of sit this one out. I, uh, you're probably going to stay in that place. You're probably not going to break into that. It needs just a little bit of tenacity. I, I am a very cautious person. I, I used to be incredibly shy and embarrassed and would not want to do anything to stand out at all. You know, I had to overcome that. I had to overcome that. I had to put myself in the place where I thought, no, um, no, I I want this badly. I I want the real thing. I don't want to be just going through the motions week after week and going through it. I want to commune with God. I want to be in his presence. I want to receive whatever there is. And so I had to go to these places. I had to go up and get prayed for. I had to position myself. It needs a certain amount of boldness. When you step out and give a prophetic word to someone on the street, that boldness seems to activate the presence of God coming so that a miracle can happen. But it takes the boldness in the first place. If you're sitting, waiting for the presence to come so that you can do it, it's probably the wrong way around. You need the courage. You need the boldness to go. Unity is a great one. I read that one out um, from Chronicles when and I love that the the whole thing of that thing where they um, they were as one to make one sound. I, I love that. I think it's great. And and again in uh, Acts two where they were all together in one place in one accord, and suddenly there was a sound. Okay, so that's all cool. Um, Psalm one three nine says how pleasant. Pleasant it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil running down Aaron's beard. There the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. Coming together and unity and corporate worship and praise is important. Don't, I, I'm kind of not big on the dismantling of church and stuff because it is right for believers to come together and to be singing the same thing at the same time. It's, it's an expression of unity. It's a, an expression of togetherness. You, you can encounter the presence of God in your car or in your bedroom or, or at home or whatever, but there is something when believers come together and just face in the same direction and you know, declare the same thing or sing the same song. It's an expression of unity And I think if you're on the outside and say, oh, I don't do unity, you know, I'm my own person. You're missing out on something. You'll always have the presence of God. You'll always be a Christian and you'll have that seal of the Holy Spirit within you. But align yourself, position yourself for more. You've got to come with hunger, faith, and expectation, believing that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that he wants to. And I added on just at the end, not my favourite, but actually fasting is a biblical thing as well. And sometimes God calls you into i I'm a firm believer in feasting and fasting. been feasting at the moment, as perhaps you can tell, but maybe the Lord will bring us into a season of fasting where we just humble ourselves before him and say, look, this is really important to me. I want to align myself with you and to go for it. And, you know, clearly, you remember when the disciples were trying to cast out the demon of the of the child and he kept throwing himself in the fire and uh, Jesus came down and they couldn't do it. Uh, and Jesus said, oh, bring a child here and cast it out straight away. And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting enigmatic little expression, but I guess what he 'd been doing is fasting and just being together with God communing with him, and the anointing increases in those in those moments. Uh, there is something to it okay um, so we 're going to move into a time of communion now, and Sheila 's going to take over. But let me just remind you of those um, those areas so uh, salvation 's Obviously, one of them, I'm not sure there's anyone who's not a Christian here tonight. But if you were not, this would be a golden opportunity to do it. Um, Deliverance from oppression. You know, those things I was talking about, fear, anxiety, uh, compulsive behavior, whatever. Now, we're not asking for, like, confessions and all of this stuff. But as you're taking communion, believe that the blood of Jesus was shed specifically to break the power of those things that have been oppressing you. That that's what that's what we're looking for tonight. And yes, you can you can get someone to bless you and pray for you. So, deliverance from oppression, um, setting people free from the from the chains of sickness, healing. If you have got sickness in your body, or if you've got the fear of sickness, I just felt strongly about that tonight. It's not just sickness, but actually it's the fear of sickness. Uh, that can control you and can just make you anxious and just dominate your thoughts, you can be set free from this tonight because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And as you take the bread and the wine, um, that that will be the time to do that. And breaking the bonds of debt and lack, okay? If you want to see a breakthrough in that, as you take the bread and wine, just really believe that he has died shed his blood in order to break the curse of lack and poverty that came upon the earth when man went his own way. Okay? There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power. Oh, yes. Amen. That'll do.